0: You're listening to The Lively Show, episode number six. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for all of your awesome reviews and support on iTunes. Thanks to you guys. The Live Show hit the iTunes new and noteworthy category this Monday. Thank you, thank you. Keep sharing the word. Keep spreading it to those that might help. I really appreciate it. Today's show features Michelle Ward. She's the When I Grow Up coach and she also happens to be my friend, life coach, speaker, and author. We're gonna discuss how her dream for Broadway brought her to her corporate job and then eventually to her life coaching practice. In addition, we're going to talk about the steps that she took to get from that corporate job to her life coaching practice, and we're going to discuss the boob cancer, as she likes to call it, that she faced a few years ago that really kind of affected her business and her life in her early 30s in a really obviously deep and profound way. So we're going to discuss that in addition to when it's time to simplify your business or career. I know there's a lot of conversation about multi-passionate careers, and that's great, but there are times in our careers where simplifying and paring down is essential, Let's go to the show. Thank you so much for being here, Michelle. Thank you for having me, Jess. This is so fun. Tell us about your career background and how you got to where you are as the When I Grow Up coach. Okay. Um, So my... Start as the one I grew up
1: coach, I feel like it started when I was six, as crazy as that <laughs> sounded. Um, when I was in my very first show, I was a bunny rabbit and Snow White in the Seven Dwarfs at the Comec Y out on Long Island where I grew up. And uh, I don't know if I was, you know, bitten with the acting bug right then and there, but by the time I was actually Snow White, I was the lead role when I was 10, um, it was just all I wanted to do. So I chased that dream of being on Broadway, for about 20 years after that point. Um, I went to a performing arts high school for half the day, my junior and senior years. I got accepted early admission to NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. I got my BFA in um, the musical theater studio within the acting program there. And I was so excited to pound the pavement that I ended up graduating after three years instead of four because I was just like that excited. So once I graduated, it was all about doing, you know, regional theater. I worked as a performer on a cruise ship for a good six to eight months. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. If you go on a cruise ship and you see those, like, usually very cheesy but fun review shows where it's like here's the broadway review show and here's the review show in the 50s and here's a review show of you know, pop music since the 60s um i was one of the female singers
0: <laughs> oh that's awesome what was your favorite song that you sang
1: Oh, you know, I got to sing, um, I think Express Yourself by Madonna was probably (laughs) my favorite because it was so out of what I would normally do and I had this like sassy dance routine to go with it and it was just so out of my wheelhouse but really, really fun. Oh, and Mickey, the pop song Mickey, I did with like glow costumes with, like, the lights <laughs> off and black lights. And it was just, you know, cheesy but really, really fun and the perfect thing to do when you're 24 years old. <laughs> Which I was at the time that I, that I had the contract. So, you know, I did all of that until I was in my mid to late 20s and I started hearing this voice that was very small and quiet at the back of my head saying you don't want to do this as a career anymore. And I kept telling that voice to shut up and be quiet because it was, you know, it was my identity. It was like so my identity and just who I was and what I was known for and what I've always done. I just kept saying like, what do you, what do you mean? Shut up. That's not true. Um, and it probably took about a year for that voice to get loud enough and frequent enough that I listened to it. And at that point I had to look myself in the mirror and say, this isn't what I want to be when I grew up any longer. And I still love performing, but I didn't love the business of performing. And I knew I wanted to walk away from it, but I think because I was chasing this dream and this passion for 20 years, um, I looked at the next 30 years of my life that I knew I'd have to be working before I'm able to retire, and it was just unacceptable for me to be in a career that I wasn't passionate about. It just seemed, I, I know, I, I heard this from my own father when he would come home from work every day and we'd say, dad, how's work? And he would say, well, it's called work because it's not play, but I have to go back tomorrow. So I guess I will. And I just rebelled against that. <laughs> I mean, that was, uh, that was my, my rebellion. And so I set out to I think um I wanted to really find a quote unquote grown up job. This was back in about 2006, 2007. I uh I wanted it to be, you know, a traditional job. I wanted to get off of the kind of flaky actor day job track and I want to have a 401k and benefits. And um I heard about life coaching and I resisted it with every ounce of my being because it was The opposite of what the stability and things that I thought I wanted. But once I realized I could be the career coach that I needed at the time, I could be the career coach that understood and worked with and helped creative people discover what they wanted to be when they grew up. Um, that was just so exciting for me and I just could not deny the fact that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, it just fits so well with and you know the semblance of my life and my priorities, and my values. I ended up. Signing up to get my life coaching certification.
0: Let's stop here. Okay. So how you just said, all right, just to, re- to paraphrase. So you did the 20 years of you know acting and then you kind of, you rebelled against your gut, your intuition for a while and you couldn't anymore. How did life coaching just randomly come up next as the next move? You know, I wish I could tell you, like, I really wish I
1: could. And I have racked my brain for years because I don't have an answer to this question. I don't know how I heard about it. um, But when I first heard about it, I think there was something about the quote unquote, helping professions that really appealed to me. So I knew like a therapist, psychologist, um, sort of career was what I think I was really kind of attracted to but I I was not attracted to having to go back to school and be in all that debt and, you know, have it take another five years where I could do things. I was also not attracted to talking to people about, you know, their super, super pain points and, you know, the horrible things that have happened to them in their lives. Yeah. Like not i just i I have so much respect for the very good friend that has her master's in social work and deals with children who are in abusive homes and i'm like i don't I'm so glad you do what you do, but I don't know how you wake up in the morning and so I don't know how I found life coaching, but I heard about it, and it was not as popular as it is now as you can imagine this is like you know five six years ago, but it was still it was just starting to kind of get traction, and you saw a people's websites and people doing this. And once I realized, oh, I could still get my certification so I could feel confident about being a good coach, but it's not going to cost me five years and a $100,000 and all of these courses that, you know, I don't, uh, I have kind of no interest in like that to me just became so appealing and to know that I could use it as this general base to help creatives through their career transitions.
0: Love it. Okay. So that's how you got there. Thank you for, for sharing that. The mystery really continues, but. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so that's what I did. So in,
1: in August of 2007, I'm, enrolled at the International Coach Academy and started my training. And uh, at the same time, I kind of started building my business online. I became the one I grow up coach. I knew my niche uh, pretty much right away and bought the URL and set up the most basic website you've ever seen. It looks nothing like what you see right now on my website. And uh, just started coaching people because I needed to for my certification and taking classes. So that took about two years to finish. I got engaged and married during that time. And I also held a full-time job as an executive assistant. Uh, And once I graduated from the program in June of 2009, I said, okay, full steam ahead for the business stuff. And then everything became about really upping my game with my website, with consultation calls, with the number of clients I was serving. I was still in my full-time job um, as an executive assistant. But by December of 2009, I had my eye on the books and things that were coming in. And I had this fabulous new website that was professionally designed. And I had people out in the world that I figured like, oh, people know in the world that I exist. That I said, as of March 2010, when I get a bonus, which is like one of the only pros in working in a financial consulting company, um, when I get my bonus in March, I'm going to give my notice. And and leave and, and try this full time and that and that was four years ago. Um, I
0: remember when that happened. That I was, feels... we were friends. Yeah, yes. we were friends through that whole time. I remember, two thousand. Yeah, I think we met in two thousand nine, and yeah, I remember all through two thousand ten as you made that transition. You were so good about it. Actually, I would love for you to share a little bit about that transition. Absolutely. Um just in general, yeah, I think I think a lot of people might be wondering that's one of the most popular questions I always got asked when I was business consulting. So how did you make that transition? I think you did it in a really smart way.
1: I did it in a very, very baby step strategic do something every day, prioritize your life and your commitments, say no to the things <laughs> that um you might really want to do, but are going to take too much time to do um,
0: wet. What's a for instance there? What's a for instance on the things you said no?
1: For instance, you know, I I had a group of friends and we would go for happy hour like, you know, we, we played volleyball and like extracurricularly and uh, we'd go to happy hour and would hang out like a few times a week. And that became something that I had to say no to more than I said yes to. So I saw those group of friends maybe once or twice a month instead of once or twice a week.
0: That's a for instance, for sure. I I like that. Mm -hmm. I I think it helps people to think that to recognize that a lot of people do make sacrifices when they transition, because I think otherwise the perception is that they're just like making tons of money in both their job and their business, and then they just kind of never have a problem again. And that's definitely not the case.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think with that, it's also about really realizing and coming to peace with the fact that these transitions take time and anyone that's expecting immediate fantastic results is going to be <laughs> very disappointed and you know when i talk to my clients about this and i have i have a workbook that i wrote about this called an effective escape leaving your day job without living in your parents basement you know i think we all have different sort of risk levels we're comfortable with and and i've coached people that have said Michelle, I need $30,000 in the bank in order for me to leave my day job. And I've coached people that said, Michelle, I need $300 in my bank in order to leave my day job. And I think that there's a happy medium and I think that there's, um, you know, we could all tap into what's important to us. But I feel like the main way that I, I made that transition happen Um, in the two years and seven months that I was at that job while I was getting my certification and building my business, is that I don't think there was a single day that went by without me doing something for my business. And I don't say this, like, I never really felt like I burned the candle at both ends. I was never someone that was doing work after 9 or 10 o'clock at night. So you have to get your rest and you have to charge your batteries. And I'm not saying this to say, like, you better work your, you know, Eight nine hours at your day job, or sometimes more than that with with the commute, um, and then go home and work another six hours on your side hustle because that's just, you'll you're not going to be good for anyone then. But on the days that I had class, like I knew that I'm going to class for an hour or two. The days that I had my clients working on my client stuff, the days that I didn't have that stuff and I had some time, I was writing a blog post, I was learning Twitter. Um, I'm really really big on just taking you know. 15 to 30 minutes a day Uh, and if that's all you can manage that's totally fine but it adds up over the course of a month Um, and you could do a lot of things in in a 15 minute block of time but to just keep it at the front of your mind and be able to prioritize and be able to say I'm doing something every day to just keep myself moving forward that is like the biggest probably trick (laughs) quote unquote um, that that helped me when I was at a desk from nine o'clock in the morning to six o'clock at night. Um, and then having, you know, a two hour commute every day, both ways, uh, one hour, one way, one hour, you know, coming home, you know, that's, that's what I did. And I, and I, uh, I don't want to say this to get people fired from their jobs, but you know, I took advantage of being at a desk and having a computer, and when I didn't have work that I needed to do, I was writing blog posts, like, tweeting and doing things on my computer. I made sure to schedule my blog posts so that they did not get published during work hours, but other than that, you know, whatever time and resources you can manage to take for yourself, uh, go do it.
0: <laughs> I think that what you're also talking about is building momentum. So yeah. momentum goes in both directions, whether you're taking action or whether you're not taking action, the momentum builds either way. So you, by doing whatever you can in those 15-minute increments, you're building the momentum in a positive direction rather than letting it pile up and trying to say, I'll just do it all at once on one day, which may not be feasible for a lot of people.
1: It never happens. Never, ever, ever. If you're looking for like a four-hour chunk of time to fall from the sky, you're going to be looking for a really (laughs) long time. So yeah, taking advantage of 15 minutes, 30 minutes, a lunch hour. I mean, take your lunch hour out of the office, go to a coffee shop with your laptop, write a blog post, do, you know, whatever you need um, in order to just I love how you said it. Just build momentum. Just keep building momentum.
0: Absolutely. Okay, now let's talk about, as your momentum's building, let's talk about what happened in the last few years Mm -hmm. that was not so great. (laughs) Yeah, I'll let you say it, because I love how you say it. You
1: mean my boob cancer. That's what you mean. I was going to say
0: it, but then I thought people would find me weird to say it, to say it in that way. So I wanted you to say it. So let's
1: talk about the boob cancer. Let's talk about the boob cancer. I mean, I would say breast cancer, but I found that saying, just even saying the phrase breast cancer, like clears a room really quickly and everyone starts getting really <laughs> depressed. So um, I like to say boob cancer because I got a boob cancer diagnosis in November of 2011. So at that point, I was working full time as when I grew up coach for about a year and a half. Um, so things were still fairly new as a full time entrepreneur. And I got the diagnosis. Thankfully, they caught it very, very early. It ended up being a stage one diagnosis, although we thought it was stage two initially. Uh, they ended up upgrading me once once we had the biopsies and saw you know, I live in New York city. I have access to the most incredible doctors. Uh, my husband at the time was working full time in an advertising agency. Now he's a freelancer. Um, but he was working at an advertising agency where I had fantastic insurance to the point where the people at Aetna, when we would call to ask them questions, would look at my insurance and say, you have really good insurance. (laughs) Uh, so that's when, you know, you have really good insurance. And, I just knew like my world was about to kind of be turned upside down. So, yeah. But at the same time, I think because it was a stage one diagnosis and because my, my prognosis was so good, I, I never, um, I never thought that like this was going to kill me shortly or thankfully I just, I didn't have that, that mindset. And so I knew that, like for the next year, it would be about tests and surgeries and chemo, but it was like just something to kind of get through because I knew that there was light at the end of the tunnel. And once I was done with all my surgeries, then I could just like go back to living my life. So um, the very last surgery I ended up having was December of 2012. So it was about, it was really like a solid year of just a lot of different treatments and surgeries and stuff, which obviously affected you know, my, my business and how I was working.
0: How hard was that to feel like you've gone all this way you've done, you know, yeah. you've gone through your musical career and theater career, then you finally get to where you want to be. You think you're going to some, not completely, but live rather happily ever after in your yeah. career, you get it going. And then this happens. How did that hit you? I can only imagine.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, not what you're expecting at 33 years old. And it certainly wasn't what I was expecting because when I I fa- when I when found the lump, um, everything that led me to finding the lump, I-, I was told by doctors and lay people that like everything that I felt and had happened to me meant that it wasn't cancer. So it was like, by the time I found it, it was pretty big, but I had had Um, a breast exam by a doctor like a month before, and there was nothing there. Really? Yeah, there was nothing there. And I found the lump because there was shooting pain directly (laughs) to what was the lump. And so I heard over and over, like, this is too big to be something. Like, it's too big, too fast to be something. And pain means not cancer. Like, I heard that over and over. I, I ended up just having random doctor appointments before I was able to get test results back. And just everyone said, well, go check this out, but I wouldn't be worried. Like, don't be worried, don't be worried, don't be worried until we were worried. Um, And, you know, thankfully, my – the breast surgeon that I went to um, with all the – like, we did so many biopsies and stuff for the day before Thanksgiving, and she had all the results for me the day after Thanksgiving. So it was
0: quite a crappy Thanksgiving. Oh, my God. (laughs) It was quite a crappy Thanksgiving. But. What's running through your head at that point?
1: Well, the waiting's just the worst thing. I mean, the waiting's the worst thing. And and by that point, we were really concerned because I had had an ultrasound um, a few weeks prior. And I had finally gotten the results that said, you know, results very abnormal, like go to your doctor. And my mom thankfully had a connection and knew the head of Long Island Jewish breast surgery and called them, like, I got that letter. I opened it up on a Sunday and my mom called that Monday morning and it was the week of Thanksgiving. And like, you know, they, they fit me in. Um, and at that point, all the tests and stuff that I did, I mean, we knew that there was Cause for concern. So you know the weight I always feel like the waiting's the worst part. Uh, not knowing what's going on. You know between the the biopsies and you know all the tests that you're given and the different. You know I had two different lumpectomies and what's going to happen? What's the treatment like? That to me is just kind of the worst part. So you're just kind of waiting, 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 and then finally you hear the bad news. But you try to, at least for me and my hippy dippy life coach overly optimistic mindset. It's all about um trying to find the positive in it and what's the good news here and how is this gonna affect me and my family. And uh, you know, you make sure the people that you love are taken care of and told. I mean that to me was the the worst part was calling all the people that I loved or, you know, having them come over. I remember like my poor best friend, I called her When I was out, she lives out on Long Island near my mother, and I was out at my mom's, and I called her and said, I need to talk to you, but I need to talk to you face to face, and you need to drive here, and I can't tell you what it's about. But it's not good news, but it's not good news, and, like, you might want to bring your husband because you might be too upset to drive yourself home. Oh, my gosh. And I felt like, I mean, it was horrible. It was horrible. It was just like, and I felt like I was torturing her and I was torturing me. And it's just, that to me was the hardest part. But once, um, once my inner circle kind of knew, then I sent an email, I I like just couldn't bear to keep picking up the phone. So I sent an email to like my close friend with the subject line, like, I'm about to ruin your day. Like when you open this email, your day will be ruined. And then, uh, you know, you're kind of used to just... Telling the story, and then it was about how am I going to tell my clients? I'm so transparent in my blog, and honestly, if this didn't affect my business, I might not have gone public with it, so to say. Um, but I knew that it was going to, and so it was all about trying to figure out how am I going to how am I going to put something on my blog? How am I going to tell my clients? Because all of a sudden now, um, there's this different extenuating set of circumstances that's going to have me potentially like not be able to wake up one morning and do coaching sessions like I usually do. So it was all kind of the, the strategy stuff wrapped in all of it. But I was really, I was thankful for it. I mean, I love what I, what I do so much. There was a point that I just said to myself, maybe I should just stop coaching this year. Maybe I shouldn't have one-on-one coaching clients because I can't commit to being at, you know, on the phone at a certain date and time. And the second I thought of that, I just got like so sad and so depressed that I went, no, no, I could find a way to do this. I could find a way to scale back. Um, but I have to keep, I have to keep coaching. This is my relief and this is my release. And that's really
0: what it became about. Okay. So what changes did you make in your business to make this work for you during this time?
1: Uh, um, I had to make pretty big changes with like my cancellation and rescheduling policy with my current clients. So thankfully, I mean, my clients across the board at this point, I've worked personally with over 250 people and I can't think of a single person that would have begrudge me or been upset um, when you come to them with news like this, and say to them like, "I'm going to need your your help and patience with me if I if we do have a session and I wake up that morning and I don't feel well and I have to cancel. Like my my policy forever has been, you know, you give me 24 hours notice to reschedule your session. I give you 24 hours notice if I need to reschedule the session, and if. I don't give you that 24 hours notice, then you know you get a rescheduled session and you get a free session on me. And so then it became like I could give you, you know, two hours notice, I can give you four hours notice um, because I would be worthless as a coach if I'm not feeling well. So that was that was a big piece. That was a really hard piece for me, actually. I felt like I was gonna be disappointing a lot of my clients and letting them down. Another piece was just the amount of people I was working with. Um, I was used to doing probably about 10 sessions a week, and and I knew I had to drastically cut down. So that was a big piece. Um, another piece was just clearing the, the calendar for myself. So for example, every time I had a chemotherapy treatment, and I went uh, every three weeks, four times, um, and I knew like the, for about 72 hours, I was just, you know, I was just out of it. Like I knew I, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to coach. So I would make sure to leave that space open and not schedule anything those days. And I did the same thing in May when I had, uh, what I like to call my booble removal, but <laughs> a, I'll call it a bilateral mastectomy. When I had that surgery, you know, they, the doctors kind of prepare you. This is how long recovery is going to take. And they said recovery should be about two to three weeks. I gave myself four weeks and took everything off the calendar. And I just didn't have anything that I was committed to, no client sessions, no, like nothing. And what ended up happening was um, I got such ants in my pants that I ended up, like, that was the month that I said, I think it would be a really good idea to redo my whole website. <laughs> Ping my designer and we started on a whole, like, rebranding website thing. Um, So even though I was supposed to be, like, resting and not doing work, I just, I couldn't help myself. I was still kind of invested in it. So those are really the big things were to, like, clear my calendar, be really um, strict with my boundaries and my abilities and be honest so that I could get the understanding of the people that I worked with.
0: All right. So I have a question for you. So before the session, we talked about the fact that you had mentioned you'd share this. I'm not leaking anything, but you had within hundreds of dollars reached the same income year over year, even with the cancer. But you're telling us that you've, you know, took people off of your plate. We're not going to go too far into the nitty gritty of business here, but I would just love to know how in God's creation (laughs) did that happen?
1: (laughs) You know, um, I wish like, I could go and dig into my books from that year and tell you because I'm just like a numbers freak when it comes to stuff with my business. Um, And I have a blog post uh, that is like, I think, you know, 2011 by the numbers uh, that I did at the end of the year, like the very beginning of 2012 that goes into this, I think, in better detail than I'm going to remember right now.
0: We'll put it in the show notes.
1: You know, it's, it was, uh, I think that it was a combination of the fact that I was, still, um, I was still working on things, even passively. So I think, you know, 2011, I think, was the year that I opened my clubhouse, which was, like, a community membership site um, that I still... I, I opened the doors at this point about once a year, but I, I had, like, just started it about then. And so that was, like, monthly income um, coming in the door and a program that I was, you know, developing. At the time, I was doing... Still one-on-one clients. I don't remember if maybe I raised my prices at that point. It's always good when you know you're working with less people to raise your pricing. Um, So that was a piece. And I was doing also group coaching. Um, So that was really a godsend because I was able to make more money with every coaching session but work less and be able to coach two, three, four people at a time instead of the one-on-ones that I did. And I think, too, what else did I do during that time? I was working a lot on um, The Declaration of You, which is a book that I co-wrote with the artist Jessica Swift. Yes. Yeah, and that was like, you know, uh, it was so funny because I got my diagnosis November of 2011. In October of 2011, we had this call with a publisher, um, and they were interested in us, and we had to put together a proposal for this, and... The meeting was in January of 2012, so it was like pretty soon after my diagnosis. And I just said to Jess, uh, "Jess, this is this is going to go through. I'm I I deserve this right now." <laughs>
0: happening. (laughs) Karma is on your side.
1: It's so on my side. Like I want to let you know this is happening because this is how it works. Um, and we found out, you know, like mid January that they accepted the proposal and they wanted to publish the book and they wanted a pretty quick turnaround time. So I think that we signed the contracts in February and like the final version of our book was due in September. And it was so great because, uh, while we, I didn't, didn't have a lot to play with in terms of the income because we only got like, you know, half of an advance check at that point. I was working a lot on this book and it was just so great to know that like every week it was just so normal. Like it was just giving myself a sense of normalcy. I was talking to Jess, we were writing the book, we were interviewing people. We were filming videos. If, if you uh, purchase the, the Declaration of View, you, you're going to see links to a lot of different multimedia stuff. And you'll see me with lots of different hairstyles <laughs> and, you know, uh, schmattas on my head, as we like to call it. And um, even, you know, there are pictures in the book of, like, me with, you know, my my kerchief, my schmata on um, because you know, I had lost most of my hair at that point, but we were still like, just came to visit and it was in between, you know, my, one of my three weeks of chemo. And so, um, I think that, I don't know, I was still just really working, but in a different way than I used to. And I think there's something to be said for waiting lists Uh (laughs) also. So being able to say like, I'm only taking Ten people to work with for the year, or i 'm taking three people right now, and then i can 't work with someone else for another six months or eight months um, there's something about that that really lights a fire under people, so I never really had trouble I think filling spots at that point
0: oh that's awesome, and actually, I think all of these tactics and these these change I don't know, tactics in a bad way, but just these taxes you 've taken they would actually be things that people could do, even if they're, for example, having a new baby or taking on another part-time job or something like that. They're all things that you can do in general, not just when you have extremely extenuating circumstances like cancer.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, it's one of those lessons that like, hopefully you don't have to experience this life lesson to, to take these life lessons to heart. But yeah, I mean, it taught me so much about Caring for myself and recharging my batteries and simplifying. I'm a really big overcomplicator. Um, my my virtual wizard, as she likes to be called, and I, we just laugh all the time because she knows, like, where my head goes first is the most complicated way to do things. So it really kind of taught me, like, how are we just, you know, breaking this down? Are we simplifying? How are we getting things out the door? How are things going to be easy? How am I taking care of myself? Um, and, you know, all of those things, the boundaries that you set with, within your own time frame with your clients, all of those things are just um, – it just drove home how important they are and how it just keeps your business into, like, this well-oiled machine uh, and especially when you know you have any sort of extenuating – Extenuating circumstances—that's going to place limitations on your time, um, and also mental capacity.
0: <laughs> too. Yeah, I can't even imagine trying to deal with cancer and with my clients. <laughs>
1: yeah, you know. Although it's so funny because I had my clients say to me um, more more than one client and more than once, like Michelle. I just my my problems are so small and silly, and you know, and my goals uh, just just don't feel like they just feel so silly compared to what you're going through. Um, And for me, you know, I would say to them, like, you don't understand. This is the biggest help for me because it's a way for me to, like, step out of that role of, you know, cancer patient and uh person to pity and all those other things and allows me to just totally focus on my clients and what they need. And of course, it's never a competition. I'm like, it's never a competition as to whose, you know, challenges are worse. But, you know, it, it was so wonderful. You know, they were so supportive and sweet and I just always wanted to make sure that they understood like how much of a help
0: this was for me. Yeah. It's about taking your focus off of yourself in that moment and getting to give to someone else. Because as long as you're on this earth, your purpose is to serve wherever you are in the present moment, given whatever circumstances you have. That's my big definition of purpose because I have a lot of people that ask that. And for you, that was exactly what was happening. You had a purpose. It wasn't just going to chemo, you know, three, once every three weeks.
1: Right. 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 Right, right, absolutely, so dealing with like, oh my God, how did you d- even deal with this business while well, you had cancer, it was like and and i I know I would feel differently if I was back at that executive assistant job in a financial consulting company, which anyone that you know knows me for more than five minutes knows is is like just the worst fit ever um i don't know how people do it like i don't know how I don't know how I could have done it um while being in a job that was so taxing and soul sucking and energy draining and that I had to show up, you know, from nine to six every day, I'm sure I would have taken a medical leave. But even with that, um, I just, I felt so lucky to know that I was waking up in the morning. And if I was feeling well, I got to do the work that I love to do. And that was just, you know, meant so much.
0: So what would you recommend for someone who is going through something similar? Again, this doesn't We're going to talk about from what you've gone through, but this can work for someone that's maybe having a baby or something Mm -hmm. else. What would you say for someone going through something similar that is self-employed?
1: I think it goes back to the limitations and the boundaries. And I think it also goes to, um, and I'm such a planner, I hesitate in saying this, but planning like the least amount that you can. I was definitely of the mind of like, I could always add things as I feel better. But in terms of my commitments and what I'm committing to, I want to keep them as minimal as possible. So I think it's really giving yourself the space to know for example, you know if you're going to be a new mom um, and you know you want like a three month maternity leave, what is that gonna take to give you a three month maternity leave so that you could still you know pay yourself or have that money in savings or not have to worry about it or not totally ignore your clients or maybe you don't want a total maternity leave maybe you want to spend you know one day a week on on this stuff um, so it's really just kind of figuring out what it is that's gonna be the most sane for you and give you again that sense of of normalcy, but also really like undershoot it. <laughs> um, you know, really make it as minimal as possible. And then you could, you know, you could always add things as you realize, like, oh my god, my baby's a great sleeper, and I figured I was getting going to have four hours of sleep a night, and now I'm getting eight hours of sleep a night, and this is a whole new ball game, and now I could take on this other project or these extra clients or whatever it's going to be. But like, keep it so minimal that'll end up being, you know, the the best case scenario.
0: Okay, so now we're going to move on to a topic yeah. that you and yeah. I have talked a little bit about um, before that we're both facing in our careers, and I think. This is a subject that isn't talked about as much as the other side of the coin. So right now, I especially maybe last year, I would see a lot of things about having multi-passionate careers and trying to do everything you want and and that kind of thing. And I was one of those people myself. For mm-hmm. when I closed SLC, I was so excited to have the ability to then focus my efforts full time on the business consulting, the a little bit of life, I don't even think I was doing very much of that at that point. And the design that I was like, interior design, all these different things. And I ran myself ragged. And I was so distracted. And I wasn't getting very far. And I know you have had something similar in your career. It, oh, it's interesting, because I think back
1: to like the very beginning of being the one I grow up coach when I was doing it as a side hustle. And you know i don't want to say desperate for clients i don't want to say desperate but very open to like who i'm working with and what they want to work on and i have always specifically said i'm the career coach for creative people i was getting those people but those people came to me um, with kind of three different things they wanted to work on so there were the people that didn't know what they wanted to be when they grew up and but they knew what they were doing was not working and then there were the people that knew what they wanted to be when they grew up, but not how to make it work in the semblance of their own grown-up life. And then there, there were the people that knew it, were doing it, but it wasn't working the way that they wanted it to work. And I think for probably the first five years of my business, I wanted to reach all of those people, <laughs> all of those people with all of those things. So I, everything I created, every program I made, every group coaching I did, everything, it was like It it was so helpful when I did realize that I had these three buckets, but I then spent my time chasing all three buckets. And now for the last probably year or so, um, I'm so attracted to that first group of people that don't know what they want to be when they grow up. Um, That to me is, while I love working with the other people, that's my sweetest spot. And that's what I feel like I could more uniquely offer based on what, other people are, are doing and based on the tools um, and the experience that I have, that's become like my main focus of the business. I want to now, I will say boldly for all to hear, um, as, you know, potentially egotistical as it, could sound, as it might sound, I want to be the go-to coach for people that don't know what they want to be when they grow up. So it gets to the point where it's like, oh, you don't know what to do. It's not go to the bookstore and go through what color is your parachute or, you know, go take 5 million personality type tests and see what a report goes out. I want it to be, you know, go to when I grow up coach.com and go, you know, work with Michelle or pick out, you know, pick up her book. And so that's what I'm focusing in on now is to, talking about mission statements and stuff to like really zeroing in on that particular mission statement and not ignoring those other people, but just not being so proactive with trying to work with them. How has it adjusted your
0: daily routine at all, or has it?
1: Um, It has. I mean, it definitely, I'm, I'm a recovering people pleaser and it's still very difficult for me to say no to things. So it's given me the framework to know what is a quote unquote good opportunity for me or what I really want to be involved in and what I want to be talking about. And if it, if it's something that doesn't promote that message, then I say no. So that's really changed things for me in a big way. And it's also uh, not only when it comes to, you know, interviews or guest posts or whatever, but when it comes to collaborations, you know, there are some some programs and things that I've worked on in the past that I just, I love doing, but it's not aligned with that particular mission and that focus. And I've had to, you know, as much as it pains me, say, like, this needs to go on the back burner. I can't revive this. This doesn't fit in with what I want to accomplish right now. And that's really hard, but also um, really great because it allows me to uh, get closer every day to to fulfilling that that big dream of, like, I'm I'm the person that people go to when they need that career change.
0: I love that your intention, if you will, your why is really directing mm-hmm. the how mm-hmm. and the what that you're doing. So yes. that's fantastic. That's that's awesome. And yes. I think for myself, it's interesting because I you have actually a really specific niche and a very specific focus within your company. You're you're doing many mm-hmm. projects and ways to help people. You're touching them in many different directions, mm-hmm. but or, or methods. But it's still kind of the uh-huh. same person. And I am finding myself with the design. I'm working on a hotel project. Yeah. I'm working. Well, I've, I have gotten rid of the business client part of it, which was too much to take on with everything else. But I've just gone through this whole season of instead of going on to I want to do everything possible, I now am craving. I think it's a season thing as well for business Uh owners, but I just wanna put it out there for anyone that might be feeling a little bit over their heads with all the things they've taken on and all of these different directions that it is okay to be specific and selective. And one of the things I love that you're doing is that you are saying that you have a very tight package. You have a great way of saying uh, what you're doing. I think that possibly maybe has come from, you know, writing your book and having to work with the publicity side of it to really hone that in. I don't know if that's the case for you. Oh, no. I mean, I mean
1: that's just time, I feel like. I mean, that, that's just been time, you know, uh, being the one I grew up coached since 2008. Yeah. Like, it's just that's been honed over time for <laughs> I me mean, to be able to articulate it and say that.
0: <laughs> yeah well for myself it's a little more difficult because I do such varied things so it's yeah. what mm-hmm. do I do It's kind of a challenge but one of the things I picked up from a woman named Lindsay Pollock, who is an author as well uh-huh. she said to pick one or two things and this is just kind of for all the listeners out there and say that you do those one or two things even if you do ten. Right. <laughs> pick the two right. that you're going to put yourself in otherwise it sounds she put it as this is her words not mine sounds a little desperate <laughs> if you say you do ten different things. So, Oh It doesn't mean you can't, you have to limit yourself. But at the same time, there are times in your your career where you will want to hone and have that clarity and focus instead of hopping around from totally different project to totally different project. I think I am probably one of those renaissance souls. But I, and I probably will always kind of dabble in different things. But I know for myself right now, I'm much more interested in going deeply into things rather than just going broad. And it's, I'm sure I'll change over time, but... as as things shift but I just think that Uh you have obviously done it within your Mm -hmm. own niche you've gone even more specifically and deep and for myself I'm learning to tailor back like no I don't need to take on new home clients yes I'll do my hotel project but that doesn't mean I need to do more hotels in the future or more interior design if I want to go more deeply in the life side of things so Absolutely,
1: and the decisions we make don't have to be forever decisions. So you know, it could be a very temporary thing for you to say, like, you know, what I don't want any more interior design clients. Let's, um, let's let you know. Let's say for the next three months, I'm not taking anyone on, or the next year, I'm not taking anyone on, and then I'm going to revisit it and see if I miss it and how. I mean, I think, especially when we're first starting out, we're just so oh, there's that word again, desperate um, for the success and the people and the money and the thing, you know, and so. It's one of those things where we think of all these things we could do and because we could do them, exactly, we want to put them into action because they could all make us money. But instead, you know, if I had a time machine, uh, I think a really neat experiment would be for me to go back to 2008 and have said no to the people that weren't part of this initial kind of mission, discover what you want to be when you grow up. Uh, phase if I said no to the people that were in those two other buckets and instead I started from ground zero as like That specific niche, I'm so curious as to what my business would look like now and where I'd be and how different it would look. I don't regret any of the decisions that I've made or the people that I've worked with or the things that I've worked on, like not even for a second, but I do think it would be a much different. Oh same here.
0: Completely. If I hadn't done business consulting and I just focused on life, completely different life. Oh yeah, yes. yes. But, but like you said, I would never go back because I've learned so much from all of it. So it's all good. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad oh, that we've yeah. gotten to at least talk a little bit about this idea that doing everything is not some magic pill for being happy forever. It actually can <laughs> kind of backfire on you over time if you're doing too many things in too many different directions. And and that you know, I think there's a expanding and a contracting season in in careers and in life. And sometimes it's oh, it's yeah. nice to pair it pare it down a little. Um, actually, I've, and it, it is. I, I find it's really helpful even just to not be doing 10 different projects in one day, but to really batch them out more. Yes. So I'm working on a few things per day, but I'm going deeper into each one. I'm really glad we talked about that. Okay, Absolutely. so these are my two famous yeah. questions. I want to ask you, what doubts or resistance did you face in your career or life? What have you had to struggle with? What's been in whatever the... I think you call them vampires. I call it the ego. Yes, I call the vampire voices cuz they're the the
1: the things that suck all the good stuff out of us are the vampire voices. I mean, I think I think I'm I'm I think I'm my own worst enemy. I have a feeling we could all say that. Thankfully, I've had so many supportive people in my life um to varying degrees, but I didn't have a lot of outside resistance to my business and you're know, going to be a life coach and what you you make money from that. And like <laughs> what? Um, so I think really the biggest thing I, I came up against was mm, my own experience of like being a quote unquote failed actor. And, uh, there was a time too, that in, I was a real estate agent for two plus years. And the first year was like pure gold. And the second year was pure crap. So I think I had a lot of, you know, even if this works out well in the beginning, like it's going to, it's beginner's luck and it'll be like selling real estate. And, you know, I just, I didn't necessarily have, I had that trust in myself that I'm very self-motivated and confident that I could do this, um, and, and make a go at it. But I think I was very resistant to it, um, working,
0: (laughs) the way that I wanted it to work. What did it tell you? What did the vampire say?
1: Oh, like you're not, um, you're not special. Uh, why do you think this would work for you? Uh, you know, I gave my notice March of 2010 in the midst of, you know, the recession. And it was one of those, like, are you so stupid that you're giving up this stable job that comes with insurance and 401k and benefits to be a freaking life coach for Pete's sake. Um, it was a lot of it was a lot of that, you know, you're going to fall on your face. This is just going to be another thing
0: that, you know, you're going to do. What did you say to it in response? What did you have to replace it with?
1: Uh, you know, it was really about, um, that momentum that we talked about. Like I'm doing this in a smart way. I'm not, yes, it's, it's, it's a risky overall move, but I'm doing it in like the most stable way that I possibly could. Um, what's important to me is, that I'm doing something I'm passionate about and I could help people and I could get to meet people and build relationships. And that's more important than, you know, having that 401k um, or that insurance handed to you on a silver platter. And I think, you know, I, uh, I always knew too, that I could go back to it. Like I have a post that I wrote called 20 jobs in seven years (laughs) that's what I had at one point I had 20 jobs in seven years and if there was anything that I knew to be true it was that I knew how to bs my way through an interview and get a job and so I think I told those vampire voices like I'm I'm trying there's going to be no harming trying this um and if it doesn't work out then I'll I'll go back with my tail between my legs but I won't be homeless I'll still have people that love me I'll yeah still have And, you know, like it was just not going to be the end of the world. So I think I had to just keep reminding myself of that.
0: That's marvelous. I'm so glad. And it's so helpful, I think, for people to hear the resistances that we all face and you may not know what the other person had to deal with. So it's helpful to bring those to light and share them so that other people feel like they're not the only ones. Yes. All right. So now, last but not least, what would you tell someone just starting out on this journey? Uh, you know, I would tell them that
1: this is so easier said than done. And it's such a hippy dippy thing to say, but I believe in it so wholeheartedly. They need to suspend disbelief for as long as they can and to not get in their own way of why this isn't working out, why it's not going to be good. And it's either, you know, the vampire voices in your own head or people who, um, are projecting their own limitations onto you as to why it's not gonna work or why you should be grateful for the crappy, you know, soul-sucking job you have now. Um it's about being so kind to yourself and treating things as an experiment, especially when you're starting out, to just say, I wonder what it'd be like to do this, I wonder what it'd be like to do this, I wonder what it would be like to say no to that happy hour and go write a blog post instead. Even if you don't have a blog and you just open up a Word document like you have a blog, what would you what would you want to say? Um, and like we talked about before, to build that momentum to just start, I say taking baby steps builds the strongest foundation. What's the smallest thing you could do today to keep you moving forward? What's the smallest thing you could do the next day? What's the smallest thing you could do the day after that? Um, I think all of that, while seeing it as an experiment and suspending disbelief, is is just the key to keep moving forward and getting you where you want to be and and building just a really solid foundation. Oh,
0: I love that. That's one of the best answers so far. And that applies to anyone in any situation. Thank you so much, Michelle, for being with us. Oh, this was so fun. Thank you again, the mostest for having me. And there you have it. I want to thank Michelle for her awesome candid advice and support. I want to thank you guys for listening. And again, if this is helping you, please, and you haven't already, please go over to iTunes and leave a review. It means so much. It helps the podcast possibly stay on the new and noteworthy category and helps get it to more people that it can help. I really appreciate this, you guys. You guys mean so much to me, and I'm so happy that I'm able to serve you in this way and that you guys are loving this so much. So I'll keep them coming, and I hope you guys have a great week.